You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1195 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And thank you, as always, for making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out at Locked On Hawks on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our newly launched YouTube channel. Today's podcast will break down what became a loss for the Hawks in Milwaukee, 124-115 to 115 at the hands of the Bucks In a rematch of the conference finals, of course, the Hawks actually won the first two games against Milwaukee this season, but in this one, it dug a hole that was uh, too big to overcome, basically, in this spot. The Hawks were booming upstream the entire game, down by 18 in the first half, 14 at halftime. While they played much better in the second half of this game overall, and on both ends of the floor, really, it was not quite enough because of the slow start that they had. So that was the top-line thought in this one. But even beyond that, the officiating was certainly a topic of conversation. In this game, Nate McMillan gets ejected in the fourth quarter, the first time in his Hawks tenure he was ejected. And I think he might have tried to earn that one, honestly, to send a message or do something to try to inspire this basketball team. But frustration certainly sort of permeating the, the proceedings in this one for the Hawks. And with this loss, they fall to 31-34 and 34 on the season and a meager 12-21 and 21 away from State Farm Arena in Atlanta. So we'll dig in now to what transpired here, but a missed opportunity for sure for the Hawks. And, you know, dating back to Monday and a bad loss in Detroit, um, going 0-2 on this road trip, not what you want to see by any means. So at this stage of the season, a lot of frustration building for the Hawks, and this certainly won't help that. As for the pregame context of this, of this one, it was a back-to-back from Milwaukee. It actually had to travel back from Oklahoma City. So an advantage there for the Hawks coming in, and they were 2-0 against Milwaukee coming into the night. And the Hawks were also at full strength for the first time in a while Kevin Herter was probable with the shoulder issue that kept him out of the, off the floor on Monday, but he ended up playing, starting, and playing quite well. Um, Milwaukee was actually without a couple of rotation guys here. Brooke Lovis, Brooke Lovis has been out for a while, but Pat Connaughton missed this game. George Hill missed this game. So advantage Hawks there on the roster availability aspect as well. But still, even with all of that, the Hawks were four-and-a-half-point underdogs in Milwaukee, simply because the Bucks are the better team right now and also playing at home. And that gives the Hawks sort of an uphill battle from the start in this one. Um, as for the game itself, as I sort of described earlier, it was really because of the slow start the Hawks were uh, behind the eight ball here. They started out with Capella guarding Giannis, and the foul trouble was a problem for Capella the entire game. He had two fouls in the first three minutes. Um, not great in this matchup, obviously. Milwaukee was giving Trey Young some good looks in terms of playing drop coverage, but the offense kind of got slow out of the gate a little bit as well. Giannis was asserting himself early on against Kongwu. It actually looked like they were going to bring Kongwu in early, when Capella got his second foul, but they actually had to go to Gallinari first. I'm not sure what actually happened there. It was never confirmed. I suspect Akamu might, might have had his wrong shorts on because he went to go, he went to go check in and had to run into the locker room. That's usually what happens there. They had to go to Gallo for like 40 seconds, kind of an interesting moment in the first quarter of this game. But, but 14 of the first 17 points from Milwaukee came in the paint, and that was a theme of the entire night. They also rebounded their own misses at a high rate in the first quarter. And the Hawks were down by 10 pretty quickly. In fact, they never led in this game for the final 45 minutes. They had a couple leads in the first three minutes of this game, and then never again. Uh, Giannis had 14 points at one point, and the Hawks had 12. It was 22-12, to 12, but Giannis was outscoring the Hawks. That's not usually a good sign 
let's just say. Uh, rotationally, it was actually interesting in both halves for the Hawks. In the first half, because of the early foul trouble for Capella, they had to go to Bogey and Gallo. Akongwu sat for a little while with, with Collins at center, and then, then they had to bring him back in. DeLon Wright came in late in the first quarter. Lou Williams did not play at all in the first quarter and, and played in the second quarter of this contest. But the Hawks were down by 15 pretty quickly. They scored five points in about six minutes or so late in the first quarter. They were six of 17 from the field. Trey didn't score until the final minute of the first quarter. Collins didn't score in the entire first quarter. And by the way, Collins had two points in the game. We'll come back to that later on. It was a bad night for John Collins, let's just say. But the Hawks got it back to eight at one point late in the first, down by 11 at the end of the first quarter. But defensively, it was pretty ugly. The Bucks had a 148 offensive rating in the first quarter, 18 points in the paint, 10 second chance points, nine free throw attempts, just a all around mess defensively for the Hawks. And uh, part of that was Capella having to lead the game, but it was really kind of a uh, equal parts mess defensively for Atlanta. And offensively, also had a slow start, and that's a bad combination of things. Later on, they actually played Trey the entire first quarter. Then he gave way to Lou Williams. The Bucks scored the first seven points of the second quarter to go by 18. A quick timeout. And I thought they sat Capella for too long in the first half. He sat for about 14 minutes, which is just way too long. They were, they were down by 16 points when he came back in. And as soon as he came back in, this is sort of anecdotal on some level. I, I will definitely admit that. There was a 12-4 run immediately when Capella came back in. Herter hit a couple of nice jump shots during that stretch. But the Bucks did answer that. And I don't run of their own. Bobby Portis had a huge first half for Milwaukee. You know, Giannis is always going to be a dominant force. He's one of the best players in the league. Bobby Portis had a huge game particularly a huge first half. He had 19 before halftime. That's definitely something you can't, um, at least you don't want to have to overcome if you were the Hawks. Trey sat for longer than usual in the first half. He sat for about eight minutes as the Hawks were playing a little bit better basketball with the bench, but still a little bit curious decision-making there. And the Hawks were down by 14 at halftime with an underwhelming close to the half. Even with some better defense in the second quarter, the Hawks still allowed about a 138, 140-ish offensive rating to the Bucks. In the first half, and that's not going to get it done. Let's just say the, the Bucks were shooting well from the floor. They got the they got their uh, worked on the offensive glass. Only four turnovers before halftime for Milwaukee, and they had thirty points in the paint. This happened later on, which we'll come back to. But the Bucks did get a very friendly whistle. I thought even people that I trust on the Bucks side of things, you know, neutral observers that obviously they, they are following the Bucks, all kind of noted national national people as well. It was not just a Hawk-centric thing where Giannis got a lot of favorable calls in this game. And he's always going to have that happen. He's uh, difficult to officiate, and he is a, obviously a monster. And occasionally you just have to foul him. That's just what, that's what happens. But the Hawks got a lot of unrun, unfriendly whistles, which put, put, put them uh, sort of an uphill battle, let's just say. Um, offensively, the Hawks had a decent performance in the first half, but the first quarter put, put them um, you know, sort of behind their normal pace. A 110 offensive rating before halftime for the Hawks. That's about average against Milwaukee, but that's not great overall. They did have a good assist turnover ratio, 15 to 6 before halftime. They shot it okay as well, but not much on the glass. And only seven free throw attempts in the first half. Collins was 0 of 7 from the floor. Didn't have much in the, in the entire game, really. But Trey was a pretty small factor. It's really weird when this happens. But Trey was better after halftime, and he sort of got um, you know got his numbers as a result of that. But he, he only took four shot attempts from the floor in the first half. He was kind of invisible at least by Trey Young's standards. He was still obviously a factor. He has to be guarded. All of that stuff is worth pointing out. But uh, I thought he was he was pretty anonymous in that first half. And again, the Hawks on my 14 points. And, you know, just being candid, Atlanta down 14 on the road against a good Bucks team. You're obviously a very, very big underdog. Now, the Hawks are capable of overcoming deficits. We actually saw the Hawks made some, made some runs, which we'll get into in a second. But just broadly speaking, take a step back. 
down 14 in 24 minutes to go in Milwaukee. You are uh, not drawing dead, but you are uh, certainly a big underdog, and that ended up being the case later on in this one. Before we get to the rest of the game, as well as some broader takeaways and a look ahead to the schedule and other things like player observations from this contest, a word from our sponsors on the show today. This time of year, my schedule is pretty crazy. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to be healthier, have more energy, and really just wanted to see what all the hype was about around Athletic Greens. And now I've been on them for weeks, and I just absolutely love it. Athletic Greens don't taste like a typical thing that's super healthy, and I really look forward to it each and every morning. It's the first thing I have in the morning with just one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food su- sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day on the right note. This special blend of ingredients supports your nervous system, your immune system, your gut health, your energy, and gives you the ability to focus and recover. And it also costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, which is very, very important. And candidly, it's cheaper than the cold brew habit that you might have. I know that I do. And Athletic Greens also supports better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes already. And it's time to reclaim your health arm your immune system with the convenient daily nutrition especially as we head into the flu and cold season it's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day one scoop in a cup of water every single day and that's it no need for a million different pills supplements to look out for your health make it easy athletic greens is also giving you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five travel packs for free with your first purchase all you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash mba network Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Take ownership of your health. Pick up a daily ultimate nutritional insurance. It's that time of year again as the tournament is finally upon us in college basketball with all the latest odds, totals, player props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. Beyond that, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And, of course, it's not just basketball, even if that's sort of the forefront right now. BetOnline has a full slate of offerings that includes live betting and your favorite casino games. BetOnline is your source for hockey, for boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, soccer, baseball, entertainment, and horse racing odds, plus every single prop you can possibly think of. Head to BetOnline right now or use mobile devices to learn more about all the trends and all the action today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, the second half did not start well for Atlanta. The Bucs scored the first five points to go up by 19 points. That was actually the largest lead of the night for Milwaukee early in the third. Capella got his third foul within the first minute. And then, by the way, Capella had five fouls with more than nine minutes to go in the third quarter. This is the first time I can ever remember Nate not doing an auto bench. Capella got his fourth foul. And for me, even as someone who does not like to auto bench guys, I probably would have pulled him in that spot. I couldn't believe that he played him. And on the next possession, Capella got another foul, and that was his fifth. Also, Again, not to repeat myself too much, Peter, and again, I think people listen to the podcast regularly might know this, but if you're a new listener, I am not someone who complains about officiating. This is a very, very tightly officiated game for the Hawks, not so much the other way. Anyway, Bell had five fouls. I'm not sure how many of them were actually fouls, but not all five, let's just say. The Hawks did answer, though, with a 7-0 run to get to sort of get back into the game. There was some threat at that point. I thought the Hawks might just roll over. Not that they were going to just pack it in entirely, but when you're down by 19 – Bad start in the third quarter, bad vibes on the road. They could have packed it in. So if you're looking for a positive from this game, that was it for me, that the Hawks really did sort of put it all back together and give a valiant effort and really played better than the Bucs did for the last, I don't know, 22 minutes of the game. Alas, the hole was dug, and that was it. Trey had more juice himself. He had seven points in the first four minutes of the second half and was visibly more active after halftime. But Milwaukee got, got into the bonus. They actually – 
We're in the bonus with eight minutes to go in the third. That's a crazy stat in itself. Hunter, sorry, Herder scored five straight points, and the Hawks are back within eight again. This is kind of a theme the entire second half is the Hawks will get back within seven or eight or six or five later on in the fourth quarter. But as soon as that happened, always without fail, Milwaukee would, would sort of throw a counterpunch and uh, quell the momentum. McMillan, the first time that I saw him would get really, really upset in this game was actually about a, sort of a kidney shot that Portis delivered on a screen to DeAndre Hunter. Nate was uh, visibly upset about that during a timeout. Notably, I thought this is interesting to me. DeLon Wright did not play in the second half of this game. And uh, I asked about an injury. I don't think that there was one in this spot. I think there were some really interesting rotation changes slash decisions made by McMillan, which we'll come back to. But that was the first one is that I kind of noticed that in the third quarter, like no DeLon at all here. I thought he might come in and start the fourth quarter. It just never happened. So they cut the rotation down and only played nine guys in the fourth rather than playing 10. But of course, this is again the first time in a while the Hawks actually had all 10 of their guys that they trust. So maybe that was not too out of the ordinary, but still notable on some level. The Hawks, though, got it to five and then down by seven at the end of the third quarter. They cut the margin in half with a very good third period. The Bucks were 10 of 25 from the floor with no threes in that quarter. The Hawks were 10 of 12 on twos in the third, as they were definitely more in attack mode. Got to the line six times, made all six. Trey had 12 points, and they were definitely playing with more uh, more mojo, let's say, as a team overall in that third quarter. Early in the fourth, though, the Hawks were down in that 7 to 11 range for the first several minutes. They got it to five, and I said this before, I think, but the Hawks never got it closer than five. They got it to five a lot. I think it was three, four, five different times in that fourth quarter that was they got it to exactly five and never any closer. Um, they came back with, with Trey, Capella, and Hunter with about eight minutes to go down by 10 after, after they gave up five straight points. And then I thought this was a pretty bad possession. I don't want to single it out too much, but down 10, you call, you, you call timeout if you're McMillan and you're, the, and you're the Hawks. And you came out of that break with a very bad offensive possession where it ended up with an extended ISO from McDonavich that just went nowhere at all. And he had to settle for a bad contested jump shot. Um, in contrast, later on, the Bucks called a timeout in crunch time and ran a beautiful ATO for a wide open three for Drew Holiday. And that's just one of those little things. And obviously, Budenholzer is a good coach. I know he was not always popular in Atlanta, but he is definitely a top 10 coach in the league. Makes a huge difference. And I think he's just a little bit better than Nate, to be honest with you, especially in that one area. And Nate's ATO plays this year have not been the best in the world, but that was a sort of glaring example of the margins and how slim they can sometimes be. The Hawks, though, did have a big run midway through the quarter. They actually had a 9-1 nine, nine spurt to get back within five. Trey had a deep three and then found Capella on a, uh, on a lob for a dunk in that stretch. They got it to six. They sort of traded a bunch of baskets. Um, in fact, the Hawks got the ball down six with like, I don't know, three minutes to go, something like that. Um, got another stop. The door was open with the ball, and then Trey turned it over. And then here's where things got really interesting. With about two minutes to go, Giannis goes right through Click Capella for a layup. It was no call. It was, it, it was not a block at least, but uh, everyone wanted a charge, including Nate and Capella. And the way that I would quantify this is that Capella does not usually just lose his mind on the floor with, with regard to officiating. And he was very, very mad to the point where I was actually surprised that he didn't get a technical foul. Early in the game, Herder got one, and then McMillan, which we'll get into in a second, got ejected. But sometimes in the NBA, when a referee knows they blew a call, they will give the guy more leeway on an eruption. And I think that was probably what happened there because Capella went pretty crazy and did not get a technical foul. But that put the Hawks down by eight with two minutes to go. After a timeout, Atlanta had a must-score possession. The bogey got blocked by Portis. That was a rough moment. And then uh, fortunately for the Hawks, they got a turnover almost right away from Drew Holiday. But then what uh, basically ended the game for sure was Hunter – 
got called for an offensive foul on Chris Middleton. And to be honest, that actually was an offensive foul. Um, I thought the Hawks, like I said before, a couple times on this podcast, got a really bad whistle in this game. Ironically, the moment where Nate lost his mind was actually on a pretty good call, I think, um, on Hunter. At least, uh, at least not one that I was surprised by. It kind of was a foul later in the law. And McMillan really went crazy in a way that he has not in his Hawks tenure. Got technical foul and then did not stop. Got another one, got ejected. And this is just me guessing he would never confirm this, but I think that he wanted to get tossed. I think the Hawks were – it wasn't over, but the Hawks were definitely uh, close to drawing dead at that point, down eight. And, um, you know, it's probably a good time to send a message if you're McMillan. So I think he kind of went after that one and went a little bit crazy. Or he just lost his mind, one of the two. But that happened. That gave the Bucks two free points at the line, and they had the ball. You're down by 10 with like a minute to go, and uh, basically it's over from there. Nothing really uh, materialized down the stretch. And uh, it, was, it was probably already over, but once that happened, it was definitely over. Some thoughts here on the second half. So rotationally, I mentioned this in the first half, but I sort of circle back to this now. Number one was Collins did not play the final 17 minutes or so in this one. And you hardly ever see that. Now, we'll say this again later when we talk about the individual players, but Collins was not good in this game. So I think this is one of those times where I'm going to, I just note that he didn't play that long. I think I might've gone back to him at some point, but I actually understand not doing it. Um, the weird thing is guys on his level very rarely sit that long without injury or foul trouble. And yes, he was bad, but usually that guy would come back in the game. And he never did. They played bogey and Gallinari in crunch time and Herter, who actually played quite well in this game, did not play for like the final seven minutes or so until he finally came in with one, about a minute to go when the game was already over. So they went to an interesting decision-making group there. Not that it was bad. You're, you're playing guys that are real players. Like Gallo played 36 minutes. That's a lot of minutes and bogey. So this is not, not a problem. This is one of those things about having your entire rotation is that you can, no matter what happens, somebody's going to have to be sit in that, in, that, in that stretch run. And this game, it was Collins and Herter that did not play down the stretch. Takeaway-wise, offensively in this one, it wasn't perfect, but at the end of the day, they had good offensive numbers. A 115 offensive rating against Milwaukee um, well, honestly, that's good against any team. That's better than the Hawks' average for, for the season. But on the road against Milwaukee, you have to take that. If you score, it wasn't always pretty. Don't get me wrong. But if you go out there and guarantee me a 115 offensive rating on the road in Milwaukee, you have to take that. It's a good. It's, that's a good result. It's not elite or crazy. But it's a good result. The Hawks shot very well in the second half. 85% from the floor. Only three turnovers in the half. But only three of 17 from three, which kind of hurts your ability to come back from a deficit. But for the full game... Nine turnovers is a good number. They did more in the glass in the second half. So I think offensively, there was a lot to like from the Hawks. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't bad. Defensively, they allowed a 122 defensive rating. That's not going to be good enough almost ever against a team like the Bucs. Again, like, like the offense, it was better in the second half. That's worth noting. If this game started at halftime, the Hawks would have won it. That's, you know, that, 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 that does matter. But the Bucs had a 59% true shooting for the game. Nine turnovers. Those are bad numbers for the Hawks. They did, they did rebound well in the second half, but 62 points in the paint. 62 points in the paint for Milwaukee and 23 free throw attempts. It's just too much on both of those. Giannis got every call in this game. I want to be honest about that. He got a very, very favorable whistle, but he also had 43 points. And Giannis is uh, very good. And listen, that's just gonna, it's going to be tough to stop the Bucks when he's going to have whatever he wants at the rim. So we'll come back with more on the evaluation front with regard to players and a look ahead at the schedule. Before we do that, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. When somebody makes some models in the auto world these days, it's not impossible for your local chain store to stock all the car truck parts that you could possibly need. 
Do you want to deal with the person at the counter that's asking you pointless questions or honestly can't just seem to find the parts other than the ones that they happen to carry in their warehouse? Instead, you have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket, and that's a much, much better option. Why spend more for the same parts from a chain store or dealership when you order them at rockauto.com in very easy fashion? And rockauto.com is a family business that serves consumers for more than 20 years at this point in time. Rockauto's prices are always reliable low for each and every customer. They have everything that you could possibly need from your car or your truck, including brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. And rockauto.com, the website, is the best place to find all of it to see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And if you, once you go there to rockauto.com, write Locked On in the box asking how you heard about rockauto.com so they know that we sent you to them. Maze's selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. As for the player side in this one, Lots of positives, some pretty strong negatives. Um, off the bench, I mentioned DeLon right before, only eight minutes because he didn't play in the second half. Two assists, two rebounds, only took one shot. I thought he was fine. I don't think that I would have just buried him, but I do understand that Hawks were down and trying to make him come back, so that makes a little bit of sense, and he's maybe the 10th guy with Lewis playing well, so I want to get to him now. Lewis was good again. He was really good on Monday. He was one of the bright spots on, on Monday in Detroit. 6.3 assists, no turnovers for Lou in this one. Defensively, he is flammable for sure, but he has been a positive the last few games, so that's worth pointing out. Like Donovich sort of a mixed bag. I thought he was very passive in the first half. A couple times, I can remember, even on the tape, him kind of double-clutching in a way that he has not been doing. He's been very aggressive, kind of hunting his own shot in the last few weeks and months now. But in this one, he was doing that again in the second half, but just didn't have it going. So nine points on 13 shots. One of the eight from three. You know, it's going to happen sometimes. He, he did have four assists and two steals. Six rebounds. Actually, the second most on the team. But uh, not his best, not his worst. But uh, he was pretty passive in the first half, which is a, w- worth pointing out. I thought Okongwu was good when he played, and um, especially around the rim. 13 points on seven shot attempts. Five rebounds. But defensive rebounding was a problem, as it's been at times for him. Had a block shot, but I thought he played well, um, genuinely. Gallinari, 14 points on 11 shots. He played 36 minutes. That's a ton. In fact, he played as much as Trey did in second most on the team. That's not a good decision in my mind. I think Gallo played too much in this one. But, you know, again, Collins was struggling so badly that I, that I do understand that uh, he was minus eight, but nothing nothing that he was really doing defense, uh, sorry, on offense. Defensively, he's always a problem, and that was the case here. Transition stuff, rebounding stuff, um, points in the paint stuff. Um, he's a weakness. That's not breaking a new ground, but that's where we'll leave it for now. Um, we'll start with Collins here with the starters. He was very bad. Uh, I am someone who believes Collins is very, very good. In this game, he was very, very bad. That's important to just say out loud. Two points, 0 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3. And it wasn't just the shooting. I think that is obviously a very sort of a flashing stat on the page. When a guy like Collins goes 0 of 9 from the floor and has two points in 19 minutes, that's rough. But only 19 minutes for a reason. Defensively, he was flummoxed a little bit by Portis at times. They put him on Giannis when they had to, but... He wasn't his best there either. Had two turnovers, no assists. Five rebounds is okay in 19 minutes, but minus 10. And uh, he just didn't have it. I mean, that's not doesn't mean he's terrible now. There was somebody in my mentions that was kind of repeatedly yelling. Actually, I kind of beat the person. But uh, about how the Hawks are better off, with, better off without Collins. There, there's just no evidence of that at all. So, you know, in this game, was he good? No. Did I mind terribly that he didn't play on the stretch? No. But it doesn't mean he's bad now. He just had a bad night. So it happens to the best of us and uh, the worst of us. Alas. Capella... Foul trouble was the, was the story for him, but he had 11 points and nine rebounds in 20 minutes, but one of five at the free throw line, a very typical Capella thing, but he did make all five of his field goal attempts. It was plus eight when he played. So that's unfortunate because, you know, plus eight speaks for itself, but I think the Hawks, when Capella was playing, as usual, they were better. 
and that's not a shot at the Kongwu, which is that he's Capella's just more established, a better rebounder. I think he's a better overall defender right now. Still, he's not the finisher the Kongwu is, but um, the Hawks had good results when Capella played. He just couldn't stay on the floor with the foul trouble, and part of that was that he had some um, iffy moments, but still um, some bad whistles as well in there. Which I, again, not to beat the uh, dead horse right now, but he certainly had some uh, unfortunate calls against him. Herter played well, I thought, 16 points in his return from the shoulder issue that cost him on Monday. Um, two of four on twos, but four of seven on threes. He was hunting that shot, had three assists, but he played genuinely well in his time. And I, I might have gone back to him a little bit more in the fourth quarter if it was me. Uh, Hunter had a good game as well, 17 points on 11 shot attempts. Defensively, he had some issues against Mil- Middleton, but that's going to be the case for most players when he uh, when Middleton has it going a little bit. But I thought Hunter played pretty well. And then uh, Trey Young... A sleepy first half, for sure. Only he took four shots, but in the second half, he was very, very good. 27 points, 11 assists. Got definitely more established established in the second half. I thought he took a couple bad shots, but nothing egregious in this one. Defensively, I thought the effort level from Trey was not particularly great, to be honest with you. There were a couple times when he was the backline defender, and yes, that's a problem in general in terms of like construction and um, him having to make plays, but I thought his effort level was pretty bad defensively at times in this one. He woke up a little bit as the game went along, but he was part of the slow start and, uh, you know, just kind of a decent game for Trey, which again is pretty crazy to have 27 and 11. And by the way, if you want more Trey Young talk in a positive manner, especially, I talked to Matt Issa on yesterday's podcast about 40 minutes. A lot of that's on Trey and the defensive stuff, but Trey, especially in the first half of that podcast, worth listening to and uh, speaks a lot to how good he's been this season. Okay, with that out of the way, the standings, a quick look here before we get out of here on the podcast. The Hawks with this loss are now tied with Charlotte for ninth as I record this. Only a game and a half behind Brooklyn, but still behind Brooklyn for the eighth seed. But only one ahead of Washington. As we speak, Washington's playing in Los Angeles. So the Hawks will either be a game and a half ahead of Washington or they'll only be a half game ahead of Washington. And that's a pretty dark reality for the Hawks. Like, I am not a believer in the Wizards, but... The Hawks keep losing, and the Wizards have been playing better basketball recently, so nothing is assured. The Hawks are not guaranteed a play-in spot. As crazy as that is, they're just not. So on the bright side, the schedule is pretty favorable for the Hawks coming up. Five of the next six games are at home for Atlanta. Friday at home against L.A. The Clippers are at home tonight against the Wizards, by the way, so they have to go across the country for that one. The Hawks should be favored in that game because the Clippers have not had their full complement of guys, but they are pretty competitive. They play hard. They're well-coached with Ty Lue. And even without Kawhi and Paul George, that's a game the Hawks could certainly lose. They don't play their A game. After that, they have a home back-to-back on Sunday and Monday. Sunday is the Pacers. Monday is the Blazers. Both those teams are in tank mode right now. So that's pretty favorable. But, again, nothing is assured in the NBA right now. So five of the next six at home is a positive. The schedule is very favorable for the Hawks. But as we saw on Monday in Detroit, nothing nothing is guaranteed. And as a final thought on the podcast today, this is one of those games that I've said a few times. I'm sure people might be annoyed by it by now. But this is one where it's like not a bad loss and that you lose to a good team on the road. Like it's just going to happen sometimes. But digging the hole they dug in the first half, you just can't have it right now. They're going to have to pick up some of these wins. This might have been their toughest game on paper the entire rest of the season. That is worth noting because if you go through it, the Hawks only have 17 games remaining after this one. And, you know, you could maybe pick out another game. But I think on paper – Maybe this, it's either this or, or the game in Miami in April. Those are the two ga- the games on the schedule the Hawks are most, or sorry, are, were least likely to win on the schedule, but they still could have won this one if they actually played well. So we'll see from here how they respond. But after day off on Thursday to travel, they'll have a big one on Friday and a game that they're going to have to, uh, let's just say a 3-0 over the weekend would be uh, 
pretty badly needed for the Hawks on Friday, Friday, Sunday, and Monday. At a bare minimum, you've got to go two and one in those three games. So we'll see how they fare in those ones. Uh, in between now and then, barring an emergency, no podcast on Thursday. We've already done four shows this week. So, by the way, Wes Morton, early in the week, Matt EC yesterday, a couple game recaps. One more plug to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by the end of the regular season. So thank you for the support on that. If you don't plan to watch on YouTube, a subscription really helps. It takes two seconds. So please, if you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. Or follow us on Twitter. I, I should say and or follow us on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. And we'll see you after the game on Friday.